Amen. Go ahead and turn with me, if you would, in your Bibles to Nehemiah. The book of uh, Nehemiah will be there in a little while. First and Second Samuel, First Second Kings, First Second Chronicles, Ezra, and then Nehemiah, chapter number four. Um, a couple of uh, things to remember in prayer is pr- um, safety for our pastor and his wife. They'll be um, traveling back this weekend, and and uh, pretty sure he'll be here on Sunday. Uh, be in prayer for um, Brother Paul and the teenagers that are on a missions trip to Nassau. Uh, got there yesterday, and so I haven't. I actually haven't gotten an update from him yet. Um, not exactly sure what kind of service um, he has there in the Bahamas at the moment, but um, be in prayer for the teenagers and be an extra prayer for Brother Tyler as he's preaching in um, North Carolina. And if you saw um, on Facebook, there was a group that was um, traveling to the um, youth conference that was in an accident um, with one fatality. And so um, be in prayer, um, extra prayer for that youth conference, uh, for those teenagers, for Brother Tyler. He preached um, this afternoon, this evening. So um, keep him in your prayers this week and also safety and travel as they travel back. So let's go ahead and um, with these in mind, let's go ahead and go to the Lord in prayer, ask him for his blessing on the services tonight, and then we'll get into it. Hello, Lord, I come before you. Lord, I thank you for the opportunity to be in your house midweek and Know that it's much needed um, just to gather together with, with believers, be encouraged, and hear your word preached. And so I pray that you please bless tonight, bless the preaching of your word. Pray that you please be with Pastor Miss um, Katie this week. Lord, please give them safety, help them have a, um, a good end to their vacation, and they'll be come back refreshed and um, ready to get back into the work. I pray for Brother Tyler. Um, have your hand upon him and upon that conference there, and no doubt many um, would have a heavy heart um, with the news, um, that group getting in the accident. So Lord, I pray that you please um, have your hand um, there and uh, do a mighty work through the preaching that's going on there. Give them safety as they travel home. And be with the teenagers this week. Lord, help them to make a difference um, in, uh, in the lives there. Um, a very needy place, a very needy people, and so I pray that you please um, would work in and through their lives this week and bring them back to us safely. We love you. Thank you for what you've done, what you will do tonight through your word. Your son's name we pray. Amen. Um, Mrs. Smith was your average church member who was involved and faithful to the ministries of her local church. She sang in the choir, she taught a Sunday school class, she led a children's church team, served in the nursery, never missed a service, never missed an opportunity to serve, never missed a um, a ladies' meeting or a um, baby shower or a wedding shower. She loved being involved in our church, and um, she enjoyed being involved in the children's ministries and teaching the children and, and seeing people saved, seeing people um, added to the church. But one week, things didn't go quite as she had planned. Uh, it started on Friday night when a member of her team called and informed her that he would not be able to make it on Sunday 
And so he would not be able to teach the lesson that he was supposed to teach. And although she was slightly annoyed, she answered very kindly, hey, no problem, I'll go ahead, I'll be able to teach the lesson. But as she laid in bed, she began to think about the activities that Saturday was to hold. And thinking about the grocery shopping that had to be done. And her husband was out of town for work this weekend, and so she had the kids. She had to take her daughter to swimming lessons, and her son had a baseball tournament. Um, she had a birthday party for a nephew that they had to go to. Now she has this Bible lesson, and as she's laying there thinking, Oh, and I told the neighbor that I would help her with the garage sale in the morning. And she is not looking forward to Saturday, as you would imagine. How in the world am I going to get all this stuff done? Um, well, through the stressful day, she is able to get things done that she needs to get done, although she doesn't go to bed quite as early as she would have liked. Um, but she wakes up Sunday morning and gets the kids ready, comes to church ready to serve in the ministry when she realizes that she forgot her children's church bag at home. And those that are involved in children's church know what that's all about, has her snacks and her games um, and her lesson that she worked so hard to prepare. So she's like, I got to go back home and get, the, get my bag. And so she runs home, gets back, and she's late to Sunday school. Uh, but by the time she gets in there, calms everything down, and she's ready to teach. Um, one of her students isn't feeling very well. And before you know it, what was once on the inside of him is now on the outside and on the floor. Um, very stressful situation for a small Sunday school room full of kids. Uh, following that, she goes into children's church where this Sunday these kids are crazy. And some of you are thinking every Sunday the kids are crazy. This Sunday was especially crazy. You cannot bribe the kids to sit down and to listen to pay attention. It's caused for a hectic teaching time um, culminating in two boys getting in a scuffle at the end. She gets home, gets the kids home, ready to eat lunch, only to see that she put everything in the crock pot, forgot, but forgot to turn the crock pot on. Kids were going out to eat for lunch. And those who have multiple kids understand this, the kids wouldn't, couldn't agree on where to eat. And I know that's big time in our house. If one child says, I want to go eat here, the other child says, no, I want to go eat here. And so you're making one of them mad, or you're making them both mad. Um, and well, such was the case. And by the time they got to the restaurant, there's a long wait, the poor service. This nothing is going right for Mrs. Smith today. By the time she finally gets home, it's already time to come back to church almost because she has ladies' ensemble and choir practice and working in the nursery that night. This has been a crazy weekend. She gets home, and you'd think that she would go to sleep and sleep like a rock. But the bug that little Johnny had in Sunday school got passed on to her. Didn't have a good night. She goes to work the next morning, and as the other ladies are talking about their weekend, as she begins to indulge in some of the lowlights of her weekend, and she's met with comments that's like this. You know what, Mrs. Smith, you really need to take it easy with all this church stuff. You're, you're giving way too much time to the church. You need to take some time for yourself. And this isn't the first time that she's heard comments like this. It happens occasionally. But this time it's really starting to sound like the truth. Now, this is a dramatic story and it may not be so different than some stories that you might have. You might say, that sounds like a typical Sunday for me. Um, but I'm sure that we've had at least one of those circumstances take place. 
in our ministry involvement or even in our, our normal church attendance, um, it's extremely rare for that many negative things to take place on any given weekend. But for many of us, it only takes one or two negative circumstances like that to really discourage us in our work in the ministry. It only takes one or two negative things for us to question our dedication, to question our, uh, our ministry involvement, to question our faithfulness um, in our walk with God or our faithfulness in our um, gospel testimony. And this story in Nehemiah chapter number 4 that I want to share with you tonight, we see the Israelites faced some oppression, they faced some hardship, a very stressful situation that caused them to struggle with their faithfulness. And this, they had in front of them a work that was far bigger and far more time-consuming than getting a Bible lesson ready or, or working in the nursery. Um, and hopefully we'll be able to see some things that helped the Jews, the Israelites, uh, and we'll be able to apply those things to our life. I've entitled the message tonight, Wisdom for the Worker. And if we're going to stand fast in our work for the Lord, um, then we're going to need some wisdom to withstand the opposition that we're going to face. That opposition that you face might be a circumstance. Um, it might be uh, uh, people trying to trip you up, um, verbally discourage you with criticism. Satan attacks us in many different ways and, and from many different directions and at different times. And so hopefully we'll be able to take some of these principles and, and help you as you go through your work, the work that God has called you to do. For some context of this passage, um, the book of Nehemiah centers around the rebuilding of the walls in the city of Jerusalem. The uh, Israelites have been defeated a couple of hundred years prior, been taken into captivity by the Babylonians, and now they are back in Jerusalem to rebuild the city. The book of Ezra, which is the previous book, um, we saw a group of Jews go back to Jerusalem to rebuild the temple. And now Nehemiah is leading a group of Jews. He has led a group of Jews back to Jerusalem to rebuild the walls, to rebuild their homes, um, to rebuild their city. They're still under the captivity of uh, of the, of the Persians, but he's allowed them, King Artaxerxes has allowed them to go back home to rebuild the walls. However, the Jews had some enemies still in the land. There were some people there that didn't enjoy their endeavor, that didn't want them to see their city rebuilt, and their number one critic in our text is, is a man by the name of Sanballat. Now, whether you are doing a work for the Lord, uh, whether that be in ministry involvement, whether that be a Christian testimony among your, friend, your family, your friends, your coworkers, or you're simply strengthening your personal walk with God, you're, you're going to recognize, you're going to need to recognize some dangers around you. Exactly what the Israelites had to do. Look at um, verse number one of Nehemiah chapter four as they recognize some danger. But it came to pass that when Sanballat heard that we builded the wall, he was wroth and took great indignation and mocked the Jews. 
And he spake before his brethren and the army of Samaria and said, What do these feeble Jews? Will they fortify themselves? Will they sacrifice? Will they make an end in a day? Will they revive the stones out of the heaps of the rubbish which are burned? Now Tobiah the Ammonite was by him, and he said, Even that which they build, if a fox go up, he shall even break down their stone wall. The first danger that they recognized was criticism. Was criticism. Sanballat hears what's going on. He hears that the Jews are coming to rebuild their walls, and he is having none of it. He is not a fan of it, and he begins to criticize them. Look at his, look what he says in verse number two. He said, what do these feeble Jews? Will they fortify themselves? Will they sacrifice? Will they make an end in a day? Will they revive the stones out of the heaps of the rubbish which are burned? You know, Sanballat asks five different rhetorical questions, and in doing so is criticizing the Jews and their ability to uh, do the work that they were called to do. Um, he said, first he says, these people are feeble. He said, these Jews are weak. They're far too weak to rebuild the walls. There's no way they're going to be able to get this done. And besides, there's not enough of them. Are they going to fortify these walls by themselves? They, they don't have enough strength or enough numbers to be able to accomplish this. There's no way. He criticizes their faith. He says, what are they going to do, sacrifice? Oh, I bet they're going to sacrifice and pray and ask their God to help them rebuild their walls. And he's being critical here. He says, what in the world are they thinking? Um, he he um, questions their, uh, their drive, said, how long is this going to take? Are they going to be done with this in just a day? Because they're not going to be dedicated enough to continue working on this wall day in and day out for how long is it's going to take. Uh, he said, besides, where are they going to get the materials? Where are they going to get the stones? Are they going to pick up these old rubbish stones that were burned and revive them, make them like new so they'll have good stones to rebuild their wall? These, these Jews are crazy. There's no way they're going to be able to rebuild their wall. He was very critical in their desire to do the work that they were called to do. And if you're serving the Lord, then there's going to be people around you that criticize you for the choices that you make. You know, there's going to be people that criticize you. They might criticize you to your face. They might criticize you um, behind your back. But I just want you to recognize tonight that criticism is most likely going to be there whenever you make a decision to do work for the Lord. Whether that's in the ministry or whether that's just living your life outside of these, outside of these walls, um, there's going to be those who criticize you. You might be criticized by your spouse for volunteering too much. You might be criticized by your friends for giving too much time to the church, to God. You might be criticized by your family for giving too much of your money. You might be criticized by your coworkers for being hypocritical or a holy roller. You know, whatever it is and wherever it comes from, you need to recognize that it's coming. And, and when it does, um, um, you need to recognize whom it might be coming from. You need to recognize right now, hey, who in my life is going to be there that's going to be the critical one? Now, if you were in our Bible study um, on Sunday morning, then you know how you ought to respond to that criticism. But if you weren't in the study, 
because you were serving maybe in another ministry or, or you were out of town or, or maybe you just missed. Um, I encourage you to go to your Bible teacher, to go over your Bible class leader, ask them for some notes. Um, really applicable lesson this week. If you can ask me, you can ask Brother Mike, who'd be more than happy to share with you the notes there of how to respond to a criti- critical person. But, you know, just to um, kind of touch on that tonight, um, we looked at three ways besides the way that Nehemiah is going to respond later on, but every criticism is different, every situation is different, and oftentimes it might be uh, best not to respond at all. At times it might be best if the situation cannot be um, helped, it might be best just not to respond, or sometimes it would be best to carefully respond thoughtfully and prayerfully um, um, go to the person and, and address the criticism or address the critical person. Or sometimes if somebody's being critical, then we need to think about it and change. Do something about it. Listen to that criticism. Listen, if somebody at work is, is criticizing you for being hypocritical, then quit being hypocritical. Quit talking like that or quit engaging in those sinful activities. Uh, but look at Look at verse number three, though. Sembalat's criticism was accompanied by somebody else named Tobiah. It says, Now Tobiah the Ammonite was by him, and he said, Even that which they build, if a fox go up, he shall even break down their stone wall. Now, I really like this um, verse right here, verse number three, because it's the classic bully and sidekick dynamic, right? Sembalat's the bully, he's criticizing them, and here's um, uh, Tobiah, uh, the little sidekick, just piping up and saying something that doesn't really make any sense. Yeah, even if they do build the wall, then a fox is going to come and knock it right back down. You know, that's a classic bad attitude baloney line right there. I'm going to have to work that into VBS next year. Um, you know who wasn't here for VBS because they didn't laugh. Um, here's the point of verse number three. Criticism is usually going to come from multiple sources. It's not normally going to be from one person. Satan understands that there's strength in numbers, and so he's going to get this person to criticize you, then he's going to get this person to criticize you, and this person over here, and he's going to try everything he can to deter us multiple times and in multiple ways, um, uh, being critical of our life, trying to keep us from doing the work of the Lord. The, The Jews had to deal with criticism. But they also had to deal with conspiracies against them. Look at verse number 7. It says, But it came to pass that when Sanballat and Tobiah and the Arabians and the Ammonites and the Ashdodites heard that the walls of Jerusalem were made up and that the breaches again began to be stopped, then they were very wroth and conspired all of them together to come and to fight against Jerusalem and to hinder it. Um, The enemies of um, Jerusalem joined forces. Whenever Sanballat saw what was going on and he saw that his criticisms didn't help, it didn't stop them from building their wall, um, he got some friends together and he said, hey guys, let's get together and let's go fight. Let's go to war against these Jews. Let's keep them from rebuilding their walls, from rebuilding um, their city. Uh, I hope in your Christian walk, um, your service to Fellowship Baptist Church is not met with threatenings of physical force. I hope nobody is telling you, keeping you from serving the ministry, saying, hey, if you work in the, in the, in the children's ministry, I'm going to 
bust you up. I sure hope nobody's doing that. But Satan will attack in many different ways. Satan will not, you're not going to attack us today, you know, uh, most likely in physical altercations, but he's going to attack us in different ways and from different sides. And, you know, we're a part of something very special here at Fellowship Baptist Church in liberal Kansas. You know, if, if you're not from here um, or, or if you have family who've visited, um, most generally the response I get is, man, you guys have something very special here at Fellowship. If, you've, if you're new here and you haven't been to another church or if you've been here for a long time and, and you're not at other churches, understand this. Um, what we have here in our little corner of Kansas is very special, and it's not the ordinary. It's not the norm for a city of 20, 25,000 people to have a church this size and this nice and see the Lord blessing in these ways. And guess what? It ticks Satan off. He is not happy about what we're doing here. He's not happy about the work that's going on here. And he is going to try to attack day in and day out. Satan doesn't look at what we're doing here and say, oh, Fellowship Baptist Church kind of has liberal on lockdown. I'm just going to go down the road and try to, try to attack another city, another town somewhere else. No, he is going to do everything that he can to, um, to get victory here. 1 Peter 5.8 says, be sober, be vigilant, because your adversary... Because your adversary, the devil, is a roaring lion, walketh about seeking whom he may devour. Um, Satan, if criticism doesn't work, Satan is going to try a number of different attacks. Um, and, and just like the story that I opened with, um, with, the, with the Mrs. Smith, who is, um, um, he's going to try anything and everything he can to keep you from being an effective witness, to be an effective ministry worker, to be an effective church member. He's going to attack you with, um, with health issues and with busyness and with distraction. Uh, we have to recognize Satan's attacks and be ready for them. Then uh, the Jews were faced with complaints. Look at verse number 10. It says, And Judah said, The strength of the bearers of burdens is decayed, and there is much rubbish, so that we are not able to build the wall. Uh, and our adversary said, They shall not know, neither see, till we come in the midst among you and slay them, and cause the work to cease. And it came to pass that when the Jews which de- dwelt by them came, they said unto us ten times, For all places whence ye shall return unto us, they will be upon you. You know, the criticisms didn't slow them down. The threats of war and of physical violence didn't slow them down. Uh, but they've taken their toll on the Jews. And so now they're tired, they've grown weary, they've grown fearful for their lives, and they have turned to complaints among themselves. They've begun, they've begun to complain about how tired they are. They've begun to complain about how hard the work is begun, beginning to be. They're complaining about the threats of the physical violence. And Listen, if Satan can't stop us from the outside, then he's going to try to stop us from within. And we as children of God have got to be very careful and recognize the dangers that complaining can do within the church. Be very careful, church, about what you complain about and who that you complain to because people are going to make decisions that you don't always agree with. And people are going to say things 
that you don't agree with, and people are going to rub you the wrong way and annoy you at times. And you're going to be tempted to complain. You're going to be tempted to gripe to other people. But just ask yourself, is this situation worth complaining about? Is this situation, is this worth causing an uproar, causing, um, uh, getting me to get out of um, uh, my faithfulness? Is this worth me um, uh, flaking on my ministry responsibilities or my church attendance, whatever it might be? It's very important that we as spiritual workers recognize the dangers that surround us. The dangers that are there that Satan is going to try to use to deter us uh, from doing the work that God has called us to do. But we also need to rely on the power from above. Just as the Jews did, look at uh, uh, verses 4 and 5. They relied on the power through prayer. Verse number four, after um, Sambalat and Tobiah was criticizing them, says, Hear, O our God, for we are despised and turn their reproach upon their own head and give them for a prey in the land of captivity and cover not their iniquity and let not their sin be blotted out from before thee, for they have provoked thee to anger before the builders. Look at verse number nine. It says, Nevertheless, we made our prayer unto our God. Notice what Nehemiah did. And the people did whenever they, fa- where fa- they were faced with criticism, they prayed. They didn't get angry. Um, Nehemiah didn't go out and challenge Samballot to a one-on-one um, fight to the death. They prayed to God. They sought the power of God through prayer. They asked, you know, what we need to do whenever we're faced with criticism, pray. Pray to God about it. Pray and seek him what the proper response should be. Pray and ask God, God, should I ignore this criticism or should I do something about it? Should I, um, should I address this criticism? Should I um, uh, go to this critical person and talk to him about it? Um, Lord, give me the right spirit. Give me the right attitude to do so. Um, pray and ask God, God, is this criticism Um, a a legitimate criticism in my life? Should I be taking this to heart and changing some things in my walk? But we should always pray about it. Now, I wouldn't suggest that you pray the same prayer that Nehemiah prayed. Um, Nehemiah uh, essentially was praying that that criticism would be paid back onto the enemies. I was reading this, looking at it, and I came to my mind, this might be the very first rubber glue moment in history. You know the saying, I'm rubber, you're glue. Whatever you say bounces off me and sticks to you. Sure sounds like that's what Nehemiah is saying. Hey, you, you wish criticism onto us, but God, would you please bounce this off to us and stick it to them? Uh, I wouldn't suggest that. More so, I'd suggest the prayer that, or what Jesus taught in Matthew chapter 5, verse 44. It says, pray for them which despitefully use you and persecute you. Follow Christ's example when he was on the cross where he prayed, Lord, uh, uh, forgive them for they know not what they do. Follow Stephen's example when he was being stoned where he prayed, asked God, do not lay this sin to their charge. Pray for them. Pray for um, those enemies. I know it sounds um, so cliche, but go to the Lord in prayer. Verse number 9, whenever they were threatened with physical harm, with war, 
they, it said um, that they made their prayer unto God. Instead of returning a critical spirit with more criticism, I encourage you to pray about it. Pray when you feel the attacks of Satan on your life. Whenever you feel the attacks of Satan in your ministry, when you feel a negative spirit amongst your classroom, pray to God about it. When you, when you sense a negative spirit on your children's church team, pray to God about it. When you feel negativity in your own spirit and you're not able to um, listen to the, to the word that's being preached, you're not feeling joy through the singing of the songs, go to the Lord and pray about that. You know, it's so true. Instead of complaining about your situation, pray to God and seek Him for help. It's so true what the, um, what the old hymn says. Uh, the words, it says, oh, pe- oh, what peace we often forfeit. Oh, what needless p- pain we bear. All because we do not carry everything to God in prayer. And that's so true that oftentimes we forfeit so many things in our life because we simply choose not to go to the Lord in prayer. Philippians 4, verse 6 says, Be careful for nothing but in everything by prayer and supplication. Let your requests be made known unto God. And the peace of God, which passeth all understanding, shall keep your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. Whenever you're feeling the criticisms of life, go to the Lord in prayer. When you're feeling the attacks of Satan in your life and on your ministry, go to the Lord in prayer. We need to rely on His power, but also through prayer, but also for his protection. For protection. Look at verse number 4. Or 14, sorry, verse 14. says, And I looked and rose up and said unto the nobles and to the rulers and to the rest of the people, Be not ye afraid of them. Remember the Lord, which is great and terrible, and fight for your brethren, for your sons and your daughters, your wives and your houses. The children of Israel were criticized, so they went to the Lord in prayer. They were um, threatened. They went to the Lord in prayer, and they asked him for protection. They, asked, they, they relied on his power to protect them so that they could c- continue doing the work of the Lord. I don't believe that Sanballat's threat was idle. I believe that he had every intention on going to war um, with the um, um, with those Jews there, Nehemiah's charge to the people was, uh, do not be afraid. Remember the Lord, which is great and terrible. Remember the Lord. Hey, don't forget what, the, what God is capable of. Don't forget about the past victories that he has made, that he has had in our lives and in our nation. Now, this particular generation of of Jews was born in captivity in Persia and in Babylon. They have not seen the great miracles, the great works that God had done. Only through the stories, only through the scriptures that they had, were they able to witness, to make witness. But he said, hey, remember what God had done with our ancestors back in Egypt and, 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 and through the wilderness. Remember what God has done in our lives, and let's rely on, the, on his power to protect us here and now. And the same is true for us. You know, we may not be facing physical threats of violence, but when Satan attacks and it doesn't seem like we can gain victory in our life, remember the Lord. Remember the victories that, um, that he has already given. Remember the day that he saved you. Don't forget 
about the work of the Lord. And you may say, I can't think of any, of any victories. I can't think of it, anything that God has, has greatly done in my life. Then think about your salvation. That's the greatest victory that we could ever have is victory over death, victory over sin, victory over hell. God has given us that victory. Remember that. Don't forget that. God is great, and he will be able to give us the victory. You know, the people weren't trusting in themselves here. Um, Nehemiah said in verse number 20, our God will fight for us. They recognized the dangers that were around them, and they were relying on the power from above them to give them victory and to help them get through the work that God has called them to do. And in so doing, they were, they were able to respond to the work that was before them. You know, we need to do, we need to respond to the work that is before us. Look at verse number 13. It's an individual work that God has for us. Verse 13 says, Therefore set I in the lower places behind the wall, and on the higher places I even set the people after their families with their swords, their spears, and their bows. And I looked and rose up and said unto the nobles and to the rulers and to the rest of the people, Be not ye afraid of them. Remember the Lord, which is great and terrible, and fight for your brethren, your sons, and your daughters, your wives, and your houses. And it came to pass, when our enemies heard that it was known unto us, um, and God had brought their counsel to naught, that we returned all of us to the wall, every one unto his work. That's that last phrase there. Every one unto his work. Everybody did their part. Each person had a job to do in rebuilding these walls, and since they weren't relying on God, they were able to get back to work and finish the job that God had called them to do. They realized that, this, that it was a work that needed to be done. Um, the wall was not rebuilding itself. Um, the wall had already gone about halfway up. They weren't going to feel safe sleeping in their homes with a half-built wall. Not with a threat of violence just on the outside of the wall. They understood that they had a duty. Their duty was co to contribute to the rebuilding of the walls. And guess what? They did their job. They contributed. said everyone did, um, went unto his work. And each one of us in Fellowship Baptist Church has an individual work to do. God has called each and every single one of us to do something. He may have called you to teach a class. He may have called you to be a helper in children's church. He may have called you to sing. He may have called you to be a part of the bus ministry. He may have called you to um, serve in the nursery ministry or to be a greeter or to work in the sound or the media. Um, he, may, he may have called you to be in the security or hospitality or a greeter or the mowing ministry. You know, whatever, whatever God has called you to do, whatever area he has, he has asked you to serve in, do your individual work. Do what God has called you to do. And I know as some of you are thinking, nope, God hasn't called me to do any of those things. Well, then I strongly encourage you to reevaluate God's calling. Because God has called each and every one of us to do something. And for some of you, you've served in many of those areas. And you served for many years. And you're to the point now that you can no longer physically serve in many of those facets. But yes, what? God has still called something. God has still called you to do a work. 
God has called each and, each and every single one of us to pray. God's called each and, one, each and every one of us to make others feel welcome, to be an encouragement to one another when we come into the house of the Lord. God has called every single one of us to invite others to church and to, spare, and to share the gospel with our family, with our friends, with our coworkers. God has called every single one of us to do a work. We all have a work to do. Rely on God's power and respond to the work that he that is before you. Here's why, because it's not just an individual work. It's a collective work. It's not just something that only you are relying on. It's, it's, it's a collective work. Look at verse number 16, down through the end of the chapter. It says, And it came to pass from that time forth that the half of my servants wrought in the work, and the other half of them held both the spears and the shields and the bows and the harbingers and the rulers were behind all the house of Judah, they which build it on the wall, and they that bear uh, burdens with those that laid it, every one uh, with one of his hands wrought the work, and with the other hand held a weapon. For the builders, every one had his sword girded by his side, and so builded. And he that sounded the trumpet was by me. And I said unto the nobles, and to the rulers, and to the rest of the people, that work is great and large. The work is great and large, and we are uh, separated upon the wall, one far from another. In that place, therefore, ye hear the sound of the trumpet, resort, and thither unto us our God shall fight for us. So we labored in the work, and half of them held the spears and uh, from the rising of the morning till the stars appeared. Likewise, at the same time, said I unto the people, Let every one with his servant lodge within Jerusalem, that night they may be a guard to us and labor on the day. So neither I nor my brethren nor my servants nor men of the guard which followed me None of us put off our clothes, saving that everyone put them off for washing. Hey, this was um, a collective work. No individual Jew was asked to build the wall individually. No, nobody was asked to build a section of the wall by themselves. Chapter 3 actually details every group of people that was responsible for a certain section of the wall. Not one person, not one family was ever responsible for a given area, an entire group of people was responsible for each section. And when everybody did their individual work, every, then the collective work was able to be done and the walls were able to be completed. Some people were builders, some were gophers, some were loaders, some were watchers. But so that, you know, some were watching so that everybody would feel safe. Nehemiah placed some people high so they could see it far away. Nehemiah play, placed some watchers low so that they could guard against immediate attacks. Uh, everyone had a weapon so that they could fight whenever if battle ever ensued. They either had a weapon in their hand, had a weapon um, on their person, or they had a weapon within arm's length. But everybody was doing their individual work so that everybody could do the collective work. Not everybody could be a watcher. Not everybody could be a builder. Not everybody could be a loader. Everybody had their individual work. So is in the case of our ministry today. Everybody has an individual work. Not everybody can be a teacher. Not everybody can be in the choir. Not everybody can be a greeter. Not everybody um, uh, um, can do everything. Nobody can do everything. But we are all called of God individually to work together to get the collective work done 
of the church. Uh, you say, what, what is that collective work? It's to spread the gospel. It's to see lost people saved. It's to see saved believers grow. It's to encourage one another to grow in our relationship and in our walk with God. And by each one of us doing our individual work, the individual work that God has called us to do, then we are able to get the collective work done that God has called the church to do. To, to see liberal Kansas reached for him. To see, to see missionaries sent out all over the world. To impact our community with the gospel. That's what God has called this church to do. And it's going to take every single person doing their individual work to get the collective work done. You might be here, um, and you are fully engaged in the work of the Lord. You have your work. You have your responsibilities. You're involved in ministries. Let me encourage you tonight. Give you some wisdom, some words of wisdom. Recognize the dangers that are around you. Hey, there are going to be obstacles in the work. Recognize those so that you don't get tripped up by them. Recognize those that you're better um, able to defend. You're better able to avoid those criticisms, uh, those, those attacks by Satan, those complainings that can oftentimes take over our attitudes. Recognize those dangers in your life and in your ministries. Uh, rely on the power from above. Don't go into it relying on yourself, thinking that you can accomplish your ministry by yourself. Uh, that's the number one way to fail uh, to, in our different ministries is by relying on ourselves. Don't try to do the work of God without his help. Pray, seek his protection from those dangers. Seek his guidance. And then respond to the work that is before you. God has called each one of us to an individual work. That individual work contributes to the collective work of his church. So you know what? Let's get after it. Amen? Let's pray. Dear Lord, I come before you.